This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, where the death toll from COVID-19 is just short of 30,000. We will pass that milestone when the daily casualty count is released today. Another day, another vaccine feel-good story. The governor was back on Fox & Friends Thursday to take part in the vaccination of a World War II veteran in Pinellas County. When we did Vern uh, Cummings uh, down in Largo, we believe that's the two million senior. Because if you look, we're over 1.9 million reported, but there's a three or four day lag. So we think we've cleared two million seniors. The governor says there should be a big increase in vaccine shipments next week, but this week's shipment of the Moderna vaccine is still stuck in Memphis because of the winter storm. The governor has used a series of executive orders during the COVID crisis that give him total authority over the state's response. The House Speaker and the Senate President say they are fine with that because they agree with the governor. But they also believe it's time to set some rules on these extended emergency orders. Frankly, they're worried about future governors. We have to plan that this is part of our life and that we need to figure out if this happens again, what is the interaction between the executive branch and the legislative branch during a pandemic. You know, this governor, again, has done a great job, I believe. But we are also concerned about, you know, potentially, you know, future governors. A bill requiring Floridians to pay the sales tax on Internet purchases is one step closer to law after clearing the Senate Finance and Tax Committee. This bill, it comes down to the fairness for the consumer, fairness for the state, and fairness for our local brick-and-mortar businesses who are getting creamed out there on a daily basis, and it's time that we uh, help them out. Lawmakers seem to agree on the need for the bill, but they have not agreed on what to do with the new revenue, which is estimated at about a billion dollars. There's a memorial across the street from the state capitol honoring Floridians who died in the Vietnam War. It may have company soon. The Senate Rules Committee has approved a bill that creates the POW-MIA Vietnam Veterans Bracelet Memorial. It's an expression of gratitude, remembrance of the prisoners of war and the missing in action. Soldiers that came back and those that never came back from the conflict in Vietnam. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man with a whole new take on grave robbing. Deputies say he burglarized 10 houses while the residents were attending funerals. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, February 19th. On this date in 1910, an asymptomatic woman named Mary Mallon was released from forced isolation and then proceeded to spread typhoid in New York. She's remembered in the history books as Typhoid Mary. In 1942, FDR ordered detention and internment of all West Coast Japanese Americans in what came to be known as America's concentration camps. And in 1968, we had our first teacher strike in America. Of course, it was in Florida. In fact, former Governor Bob Martinez was the president of the Hillsborough County Teachers Union that staged the walkout. It prompted a change in state law, making it illegal for public employees to strike. Today is also National Caregivers Day, National Chocolate Mint Day, and Tug of War Day. 
Today is the day Florida's death toll breaks the 30,000 mark. The state health department reported 166 additional fatalities Thursday. That increases the total to 29,990. There were also 5,100 new cases of COVID. The total number of infections in Florida just shy of 1,850,000. Governor Ron DeSantis was in Pinellas County Thursday for another COVID made-for-TV moment. He appeared live on Fox & Friends as a World War II veteran was vaccinated at his home. The governor says Vern Cummings is the two millionth senior to get a shot in the Sunshine State. I came from Paradise Island Mobile Home Park in Largo. And as part of our homebound senior program, we had uh, the ability to go. We started off with uh, Holocaust survivors down in South Florida. We'd actually send people to seniors. These are mostly people 85, 90, 95, even 100 years old. So we did that. We did the Bay of Pigs veterans in Miami-Dade. We had a huge uh, uh, outpouring of support for that. And then we did the um, World War II and Korea veterans. So this morning I was at the home of a fellow named Vern Cummings, who's going to be 95 in a couple weeks, uh, served in the Pacific in World War II. As soon as he got uh, on the uh, graduated high school, he, he shipped out to the Navy. And so he, uh, we, were in his, we were in his home. We were able to do it on live television, and we were able to get him his uh, first shot. His wife, Dottie, he's been married to almost 69 years. She actually got a, had gotten a shot. Uh, but, you know, it's not always easy to get around and get the appointments, and so we think that this program has been very successful. We've done over 1,000 seniors by going to their homes, uh, and we're going to do, we have hundreds of uh, World War II and Korea veterans that are signed up. If you actually look at the state's official vaccination report, it shows they still haven't reached 2 million shots for seniors yet, but the governor says those numbers are always a few days behind. The state will be getting a sizable increase in vaccine supplies next week, but if you try to sign up right now, you'll probably have trouble. Many of the vaccination sites have stopped taking reservations because they don't have the supplies. The governor says they are still waiting for the weekly allocation of the Moderna vaccine that was supposed to arrive on Tuesday. The Moderna still has not shipped for this week. So normally those Moderna would be done today. But because of the storms that we're seeing throughout the country, uh, it's basically sitting in the FedEx warehouse. I don't even think they can get into it because of everything. So that's going to happen, whether that's the weekend. Some say it could even last till Monday. So I'd say if you had an appointment and the Moderna hasn't come, just hang in there. The doses are going to get here, but you have some extreme weather that's keeping uh, those doses out of Florida. The governor has been calling the shots since the start of the pandemic, and his Republican allies who control the legislature have gone along with DeSantis's plans. But House Speaker Chris Sprouls and Senate President Wilton Simpson say it's time for the legislature to step up. DeSantis declared an emergency almost a year ago. His orders are still in effect. Speaker Sprouls says that is a big change because these emergency declarations rarely last more than a few weeks. We are used to hurricanes. We are used to governors during a hurricane being the governor, managing the emergency. We are not used to this. I was over at the emergency operations center a week or so ago, and at the time I was there, it was the 341th day that the people were activated at the EOC. 341 days. That is the longest amount of time that that they have been activated in in an emergency. And it's a a heroic group of people, um, by the way, who are kind of the unsung heroes of this whole thing. But it's different. We've never experienced it before. So are we taking a look at, hey, what does this mean for us moving forward? If if this is something, God forbid, something like this happens again and it lasts a much longer period of time than has usually been anticipated by our emergency, should we consider that differently? Sure, we should consider it differently. So I think we're, you know, in ongoing conversations, you know, between 
you know, myself, the Senate president, the governor's office about what does that look like and how should we look at this differently? Because we've never done it before. You know, we have the Pandemic and Public Emergencies Committee was, you know, in, in part to look at all of the things that have been different that we've never had to experience before and say, okay, if this happens again, what kind of lessons do we want to learn from this? You know, I, as, a, as a, probably a sophomore, junior member, we did that with some of the hurricanes. Okay, we had this hurricane. You remember, we was everything from, you know, what's happening in the nursing home to how quickly is gas and petroleum getting into the state? What's working? What's not working? What's truth? What's fiction? And we need to do the same thing with, with the ongoing of the pandemic of what things can we learn because we're living in this new world. And while I hope this is a once-in-a-hundred-year thing, and that we won't have to deal with it um, in our lifetime, at least. Uh, we certainly can't plan for that. We have to plan that this is, this is part of our life and that we need to figure out if this happens again, what is the interaction between the executive branch and the legislative branch during a pandemic that goes on a considerable period of time. Senate President Wilton Simpson says this is not a slight against DeSantis. It's a recognition that there may be a Democrat in the governor's office during the next pandemic, and they may not agree with their game plan. Yeah, that's a very good question. So that's something, obviously, we set up the pandemic committee to look into that. And the question is, is how do you prevent the next pandemic, right? How do you, how do you better prepare? So it had we'd have been fully prepared as we are generally for hurricanes today, most of our citizens understand how to deal with hurricanes. If we understand how to deal with pandemics going forward, do we have to lock down for 30 days, right? Could we have locked down for a week, made sure we had the proper PPE in order, made sure our hospital systems and nursing home systems, our most vulnerable, would be able to be taken care of in a much quicker fashion. Everyone in the state knows what an N95 mask is now. Uh, the P100s, all of those things are well known. We could have a, just as we do for hurricanes, you could have a, um, you could have a, a kit at your home for a pandemic type operation because you could have another one in three years from now, five years from now. You know, hopefully it's 100 years, but hopefully it's never. But um, all of those things can happen. So if you think about a, um, an executive order being able to lock the state down, I think what the concern is is that in the future that other executives may lock down for other reasons that we certainly would not think would be necessary. So there are some protections in the Constitution today. The, the legislature could convene, and there are some things that we could do to undo some executive orders. This governor has done a tremendous job, in my opinion, Overall, and, and, you know, hindsight is, is perfect, right? It's 2020, and, um, and nothing's perfect, but this governor has done an above-average job, an excellent job of handling the executive orders, I believe, that he has put out. But you have no idea what other governors may would do in the future, right? And there are many examples around this country of lockdowns having less um, having worse outcomes, right? Our economy is open. We're, we're doing things here in Florida much better than many of our other states, unfortunately. Because um, when we say other states, we're talking about Americans. So I think that it's, it's important that the legislature ascends to its role in this process. And I think it's very important that we make sure that local governments or the executive office has a, there is a rule book or a playbook on how we would deal with executive orders in the future, because we certainly would not agree with the lockdowns that have happened in other states. So again, this is nothing but, you know, this governor, again, has done a great job, I believe. But we are also concerned about, you know, potentially, you know, future governors. There's no plan yet, but Simpson and Sproul say they have plenty of time to figure it out. The bottom line is that legislative leaders do not mind an authoritarian governor as long as he's one of their own.
A bill forcing Floridians to pay the sales tax when they buy something online is approved by the Finance and Tax Committee in the Senate. The question now is what to do with the windfall. Senator Joe Gruters of Sarasota is the sponsor of Senate Bill 50, which would expand the collection of sales tax on goods sold online and raise as much as $1,300,000,000 for the state treasury. This bill is all about fairness to the consumer. It's about fairness to our brick and mortar shops. It's about fairness to the state. Right now, our brick and mortars, it doesn't take a rocket science to drive down Main Street or to go look at the malls and seeing the competition, competition uh, what it's done. This competition is good, but when you give somebody a competitive advantage in the marketplace and we're looking at uh, durable goods where the, the, the margins on the sales are relatively small uh, and people could save a couple of bucks, you see all the time if you go to the store, look at, go look at the shoe, you know, go look at the shoe stores or any type of retail environment. People take pictures, go outside and try to see if they can get it for a couple of dollars cheaper. And it's a, and you got to think of the brick and mortar, they're paying for the building, they're paying for the employees to be there, they're contributing to overall all society. And, and as a state, we've been allowing our local retailers to get completely uh, 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 ripped off from the standpoint of uh, fairness standpoint by foreign companies and out-of-state retailers. And what this bill does is it, it listen, it, the e-commerce is never going away and we want to continue to encourage people by using uh, the that means to buy goods. But at the same time, we don't want to give the foreign companies and out-of-state uh, marketplaces an advantage over the people who are providing jobs, the retail jobs, at the local level, and you can see what it's done to, uh, at in like I said, malls on Main Street. It's had a major, significant impact, and this bill won't level the playing field completely. However, it will go a long way in trying to to to, to cut down that competitive advantage that we're giving these out-of-state and foreign companies. Lawmakers have been talking about taxing online sales for years, and Senator Chevron Jones of Miami Gardens is glad they're finally doing something about it. The first thing I can say is about time that this is the direction that we're going in. I think it's fair for our local governments. It's fair for our brick and mortars. Uh, I believe that this is smart governance, and I believe that this is needed right now in Florida. Uh, considering the uh, the budget cr crunches that uh, local governments will see, the budget crunch that we will see within our state, uh, Senator Gruber has just made it clear that we're looking at upwards to possibly about $1.3 billion, and we're looking at a $2.75 billion shortfall. So I believe that this is that we're moving in the right direction. I think this is, uh, again, this is a smart move, and this is about fairness, and I'll end the way I started. It's about time that we're doing this. That internet sales tax would bring in more money, but Senator Janet Cruz of Tampa says it's not really a tax increase. It's just a new way to collect a tax that's already on the books. I would challenge anyone that would like to say that we're voting for a tax increase. We are voting here to force people to pay what they owe us, and that is it. This is not an increase. This is collecting money that's been owed to us for years. Additionally, this tax will bring parity for small businesses in our state that already pay the sales tax, um, failing to collect sales tax on remote sales tax costs our state about $1 billion annually, if not more. So um, sadly, I don't know why we're one of only two states that don't do this, but it is about time. And it's a tax that's already owed. It's just simply not being collected. And I applaud you, Senator Gruters, for bringing this forward. Let's get this done. And I appreciate that this is a revenue stream that's been owed to us. I can't even imagine the amount of money that we've lost by not collecting this. 
While there's plenty of support for the online sales tax, lawmakers have not agreed on what to do with the money. Senator Gail Harrell of Stewart wants to use that windfall to lower the sales tax on the rental of commercial properties. I worry about our brick and mortar stores, our local mom and pop stores on Main Street. And they are the ones who truly suffer when big corporations are not collecting sales tax. Individuals uh, will go and hunt the best bargain. I know I'm one of them, and I'm a big bargain hunter. And uh, people will go shop online and not pay the sales tax. They figure, you know, well, I'm paying shipping. I don't have to pay sales tax. It'll balance out. But in reality, it doesn't balance out. It doesn't balance out for our communities. And I think this is an important step forward. And I would like any savings that the state gets or additional revenue go to reduce that local, that commercial tax on uh, on our businesses so that when you go and rent a storefront and you're out there employing people, that uh, we are not the only state that has a commercial sales tax. So I would highly recommend that we use uh, any revenue that we can from this additional revenue coming into the state to really reduce that commercial sales tax. Senator Lori Berman would rather use the windfall to shore up social services that are usually the first to be cut when times are tough. She's worried her Republican colleagues want to make the bill revenue neutral, which means any increased revenue from the sales tax would be spent on tax cuts for someone else. I do have some concerns about the the concept of it becoming, quote, revenue neutral. I mean, we are in a crisis right now. We have a lot of social services that we're talking about having to make cuts to, and this is a time when people are truly in dire circumstances. So um, I'd like to make sure that that the vast majority of this uh, increases, the increases that we'll be collecting under the tax that's already in existence, will go to social services. So um, I'm happy to support the bill, and um, I, I hope it stays pretty consistent as we see it. Ida Eskimani with Florida Rising shares that concern. She wonders why lawmakers think it's a good idea to take more than a billion dollars from the pockets of consumers and then give it to business owners. We are, do not currently have a position on this bill. Uh, we just ask that as we consider you know, where these dollars go, um, that they do go to those Floridians most in need. We also ask this legislature not to simply look to consumers um, to fill revenue deficits um, and that If we're looking at closing consumer tax loopholes, we should also consider closing corporate tax loopholes. But closing tax loopholes for business is not on the agenda. Senator Gruder says there is no decision yet, but he likes the idea of using the new sales tax revenue to reduce the tax on commercial rents. We're going to do our best. We're going to add some some tax relief uh, into this bill. We may not get all the way to being completely revenue neutral. I just want to make sure that's clear. Uh, but however, with a $1.3 billion potential uh, advantage, uh, there'll be a lot to go around. And we're going to, I know that the, the Senate will have the, the right ideas on where to use that money. But at the end of the day, th- this bill, it comes down to the fairness for the consumer, fairness for the state, and fairness for our local brick and mortar businesses who are getting creamed out there on a daily basis. And it's time that we uh, help them out. The bill passed unanimously in the Finance and Tax Committee. It's now been approved by two Senate committees without a single vote against it. Next up, appropriations.
Back in the late 60s and early 70s, my dad was an intel officer at Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane, Washington, with a 3636 combat crew training group. His job was to teach pilots how to evade and survive if they were shot down behind enemy lines, and how to resist if they were captured and became prisoners of war. They actually built an authentic POW camp on base, and every pilot who went to Vietnam had to go through what was known as resistance training. One day, Dad came home from work sat down with the kids and gave us each a bracelet with the name of a soldier, sailor, or airman who was a prisoner of war or missing in action. These were called POW MIA bracelets, and it was about the only way you could honor the troops back then without being trashed by people who opposed the war. We were military brats. We wore them proudly, knowing we were lucky Dad survived two tours in Vietnam. But most of the service members whose names were engraved on those bracelets never came home. State Senator Danny Burgess of Zephyr Hills says they should never be forgotten, so he filed a bill creating the POW MIA Vietnam Veterans Bracelet Memorial. This bill creates a Veterans POW MIA Memorial Bracelet here on the Capitol grounds where we currently have our Vietnam Memorial, the big flag across from the old historic Capitol right on Monroe. Um, so that is a Vietnam Memorial, and the Big Ben Chapter 96 of the Vietnam Veterans of America has agreed to and raised the full funding of this bracelet already. So I get to stand here before you and present a bill that's gonna cost the state no money. We just have to authorize its placement. And um, little history, and this is kind of special for me, I've worn a POW MIA bracelet for many, many years now. And uh, I don't know the, the, the soldier, the shouldn't say that, he was an airman, the airman who uh, was uh, shot down over Laos, but he went down on Christmas Eve of 1965. And I've worn him ever since. And because of that, I feel like I know him. And, you know, he kind of reminds me, and I think a lot of folks who wear these feel this way too, that when you think things are bad, they could be a lot worse. And so this has a lot of meaning. You're supposed to return the bracelet if uh, the service member returns home. A lot of them didn't. Steve Wynn is a member of the Vietnam Veterans of America chapter in Tallahassee. His group raised the money to create this memorial. It's an expression of gratitude, remembrance of the prisoners of war, and the missing in action, soldiers that came back and those that never came back from the conflict in Vietnam. Many are too young to remember the bracelet. This bracelet was worn by many of the soldiers, the men and women during this terrible time and for a long time thereafter. The bracelet I show you today is Lieutenant Jonathan Barnhart. Lieutenant Barnhart was shot down over Vietnam on May 18, 1972. I found out through Google that his remains were found in 1988. He was repatriated back to the United States and as captain is now buried in his hometown of New York. The bracelet bill passed the Rules Committee with a unanimous vote. It's ready for floor action as soon as the session begins next month. Your calendar of events and the latest from Florida Man is next, right after a word from the sponsors. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. 
Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar, and it's a short one today. The Florida Board of Dentistry meets by phone at 7.30, the Florida State University Board of Trustees meets at 8.30, and the Treasure Coast Regional Planning Council meets at Indian River State College in Stewart at 9.30. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of burglarizing homes in broad daylight while the occupants were attending funerals, stealing cash, jewelry, guns, and silver. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd says 42-year-old Ronald Rose was caught after his rental car was spotted during one of the burglaries. Investigators then noticed there were nine more burglaries over the past few months where the residents had been away at funerals that were publicly listed. Rose is facing 10 counts of burglary and more than a dozen counts of grand theft. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.